Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Thursday, February 20th. I'm Andrea Linares. These are today's headlines. Longtime Trump ally Roger Stone sentenced to three years and four months in prison for witness tampering and lying to Congress. A strong night for Elizabeth Warren as the Democratic presidential contenders battle in Las Vegas. And two passengers on a cruise ship in Japan dying from coronavirus. More than 600 other passengers testing positive as the outbreak continues. This and much more today on U News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. We begin this hour with Roger Stone, the president's friend and also longtime ally, being sentenced after he was found guilty to, for lying to Congress and also for tampering with witnesses. It's a case that we all know has shaken the Justice Department and it's still not over. Lorraine Gassides has the very latest. Roger Stone sentenced today to three years and four months in prison. Judge Amy Berman Jackson handing down her decision after a speech on the defendant's long history of misbehavior, calling him an insecure person who craves and recklessly pursues attention. The president's friend unable to evade prison time even though he asked the court for probation instead, and Donald Trump tried to intervene on his behalf. I think Roger Stone's been treated unfairly. His repeated comments provoking an immediate reaction. Major breaking story that's unfolding right now. All four federal prosecutors have now resigned. Four prosecutors quit Stone's case after Justice Department leadership intervened to rescind and lower prosecutors' original sentencing recommendation of seven to nine years in prison. Attorney General William Barr assuring the public that the president had nothing to do with his decision, asking the president to stop making public comments on DOJ matters and, according to sources close to him, even considering resigning his post. I cannot do my job here at the department uh, with a constant background commentary that that undercuts me. Now the big question in everyone's mind is... Are you planning to pardon Roger Stone? I haven't given it any thought. In the meantime, he's going through a process, but I think he's been treated very unfairly. On Wednesday, during a live interview, Ken Hughes, a historian at the University of Virginia's Miller Center and an expert on presidential abuse of power, had this to say on the issue. Would you be surprised if the president pardons Roger Stone? I've already gone on record saying that uh, Donald Trump, like Richard Nixon, will not take the risk of parking someone that close to his campaign because it opens him up to the charge of obstruction of justice. But the president insists he has the right to do so, and Roger Stone really never had too much to do with his campaign. Roger Stone, just so you know, never worked. He didn't work for my campaign. There might have been a time way early, long before I announced where he was somehow involved a little bit, but he was not involved in our campaign at all. Stone was also given two years probation in order to pay a fine of $20,000. He did not go straight to jail because serving his sentence is postponed until a motion filed by his lawyers for a new trial is considered. They are arguing, alleging the juror misconduct. Back to you, Andrea. Lorraine, thanks so much for that report. And now this is a question we all have. Could WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange be President Trump's next pardon? Well, according to online news outlet, 
TheHill.com, Assange's lawyers claim the president offered a pardon to their client if Assange would deny any Russian involvement in that 2016 hack of the Democratic National Convention. The claim was made in a London courtroom on Wednesday. Assange's attorney said former Representative Dana Rohrabacher gave Assange the offer at the direction of President Trump, but the White House issued a strong denial of this account. Assange has been in prison since September after being removed from the Ecuadorian embassy in London. He could still face charges here in the U.S. And now for more news out of the White House, President Trump has named Richard Grinnell as the next acting director of national intelligence. Trump took to Twitter on Wednesday night to make this uh, big announcement and Grinnell is currently the U.S. ambassador to Germany. He would replace current acting DNI Joseph McGuire, who is not allowed to continue serving beyond March 11th. In his temporary status as acting DNI, Grinnell will not face a Senate confirmation process unless the president appoints him to a permanent position. And perhaps you were watching the ninth presidential debate last night from the Democratic Party. The gloves came off. It was a big night. A new face was on stage. Former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg, he was a big target, taking some of the hardest hits. But it was also a very big night for Senator Elizabeth Warren. Now, these are some of the highlights. Michael Bloomberg has spent millions in television ads and his poll numbers are rising steadily. So the attacks during the debate didn't come as a surprise. What was a bit surprising was the relentless offensive against the former mayor. In order to beat Donald Trump, we're going to need the largest voter turnout in the history of the United States. Uh, Mr. Bloomberg had policies in New York City of stop and frisk which went after African-American and Latino people in an outrageous way. That is not a way you're going to grow voter turnout. According to the polls, Senator Bernie Sanders is the favorite to win the Nevada caucuses this Saturday. Bloomberg, on the other hand, presented himself as a champion of the moderates. And Pete Buttigieg reminded voters that there are other options. We shouldn't have to choose between one candidate who wants to burn this party down and another candidate who wants to buy this party out. Look, we can do better. Senator. Talking specifically about Hispanics, candidates were asked whether they would raise taxes on Latino small businesses. This was former Vice President Joe Biden's answer. No. Taxes on small business won't go up. Matter of fact, we're going to make sure there's more money available for small businesses in the Latino community and the black community to be able to get the capital to start businesses. Bloomberg also felt the heat from his fellow candidates for his past comments about women. A billionaire who calls women fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. And no, I'm not talking about Donald Trump. I'm talking about Mayor Bloomberg. None of them accuse me of doing anything other than maybe Maybe they didn't like the joke I told. And regarding health care, which is a top concern for voters, Senator Elizabeth Warren tried to reestablish herself as a top-tier candidate, criticizing proposals from other candidates on stage. It's not a plan, it's a PowerPoint. And Amy's plan is even less. It's like a post-it note. And I'm not going to do that now. Meanwhile, Senator Amy Klobuchar admitted on that stage that she couldn't name the Mexican president when pressed by a reporter from a Spanish network last week. 
Yes, that's right. And I said that I made an error. Um, I think having a president that maybe is humble and is able to admit that here and there maybe wouldn't be a bad thing. Now, overall, many political analysts believe that Senator Warren landed the most blows and won the night. This is something good for her because her strong performance may actually help her at a time that she really needs it most because she's kind of polling low. On the other hand, some say former New York Mayor Michael Bloomberg will face a very tough time recovering from last night's performance during that ninth Democratic presidential debate. So we're going to continue analyzing everything Thing that took place on stage. Nevada this coming Saturday is going to be a moment where everyone's going to be having their eyes on in that state because it will be a very big test for all the Democratic presidential candidates to see how they will do with minority voters specifically. We have now our guest, Steven Nuno Perez. He's a political science professor at Northern Arizona University, and he joins us now to analyze this big night. Thanks so much for being with us. Hi, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So we will begin talking about Michael Bloomberg. It's the first time that we saw him on that debate stage, and he was attacked on all fronts, most notably for his alleged mistreatment of women. And he also faced um, some comments for his controversial stop and frisk policies. Let's go ahead and first listen to a clip that we have from last night. I've sat, I've apologized, I've asked for forgiveness, but the bottom line is that we stopped too many people, but the policy, we stopped too many people, and we've got to make sure that we do something about criminal justice in this country. There is no great answer to a lot of these problems. So, Stephen, how do you think he handled the questions regarding stop and frisk? Well, you know, I think most notably when it comes to Mike Bloomberg is, is more so is he's just a $65 billion target uh, for a, a lot of what is resonating with the Democrats right now. So when you're looking at uh, Barry Sanders and uh, Bernie Sanders and, uh, and Elizabeth Warren, right, they're going to attack him uh, for uh, really attacking his their constituency, right, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren you're really claim to be these very progressive folks uh, who are trying to help uh, the folks in, in the cities, uh, the folks struggling to get uh, college educations, uh, get out of the burden of not having health care. Um, and and, and uh, Bloomberg is a, is a foil for, uh, for this. Um, how effective was he? I, mean, I, I don't know. I mean, he's, he, has, uh, he has unlimited funds. Um, he can stay in the races as, as long as he wants uh, and and wait for uh, wait for the right time to to strike. And I think he's hoping that that time will be uh, uh, on Super Tuesday. Now, let's also talk about the Latino votes. As we all know, it's very crucial in this election. And there was very little time dedicated to addressing some issues that matter a lot to Latinos. Pete Buttigieg, we did hear him address dreamers in Spanish, but it was barely noticeable as others were speaking over him. So what stood out to you? Well, you know, we kind of expected that the, the folks from the Midwest, you know, like Buttigieg and, and Klobuchar, were going to have a rough time in, in the Southwest. This is really their first time um, campaigning uh, in earnest as presidential candidates or as, as nominees for, for the Democratic, uh, for the pre Democratic uh, representation um, in the Southwest. So, you know, kind of expected them to struggle. It's not really where their, uh, their kind of meat and potatoes, uh, you know, um, uh, region is. You know, they have sold themselves as, as people that can, that are moderates, 
that can reach across the aisle. Um, and, and that is not what the Southwest uh, is going to be all about. So kind of expected them to have a, a rough time. I'm sure they're happy to, to, to leave Nevada and go back into the Midwest. Now let's also talk about Elizabeth Warren. As we said just a few minutes ago, she had a quite strong performance last night. We had her going after Michael Bloomberg and the rest of the candidates. But Warren's appeal among Latinos, specifically in Nevada, has actually been quite low. How do you think she will perform, how she will do on Saturday, considering that she's polling in the single digits? Well, you know, I, I think Warren did herself um, a, a big favor this, you know, during this election. I mean, she showed that she could be uh, the same sort of attack and attack person, and um, that uh, that Bernie Sanders is right. A lot of the folks, uh, especially the younger folks, want someone that's going to, um, you know, go on to the attack. And so she showed that she could do that. I think. You know, amongst them all, you know, she probably stood out the most, and I think the media is, you know, really pointing to to her. But she she had to do that. Bernie Sanders, um, you know, was Bernie Sanders, right? And and he's a he's a known commodity in Nevada. Um, and you know, I think we're kind of expecting you know Bernie Sanders to come out uh, ahead, largely because you know Latinos very very much like uh, very much like him. Um, but I think you know Warren could be a, um, you know, a, a, a compromise choice in the future when we're looking at, uh, you know, coalition building uh, between all the candidates, right? Um, she could be that choice where she she has showed herself that uh, she can hang uh, with the other folks. She can attack. Um, she is progressive. Um, and, and that might be a, uh, a suitable compromise uh, in the future. And now let's talk about another important candidate. I am referring to former Vice President Joe Biden as he was preparing to deliver his closing statement. Something very interesting took place. He was actually interrupted by activists and we have video of the moment that took place. Let's take a look. I'm, I'm running because so many people. It's a little difficult to understand what people were yelling, but they were actually saying, quote, you deported three million people. Afterwards, Joe Biden delivered his statement without addressing the issue. So did immigration come up during the debate? You know, that's a moment of clarity for, for Joe Biden, right? And especially, you know, if, if he thinks that um, being a part of the Obama administration is an asset for him uh, around the country, right, is, you know, that was a very tumultuous time for uh, immigrant rights activists, uh, a tumultuous time for civic uh, for civic organizations on the ground uh, trying to help these folks uh, deal with uh, that deportation regime. Um, and they're not going to forget, you know, uh, the last uh, the last 15 years um, and what they had to deal with. Um, and so I, I think he's going to have to address that straight on. Um, but perhaps was not expecting uh, was not expecting that. It was, you know, continuing to expect uh, to, um, you know, to ride on the coattails of, uh, of President Obama. Now, a recent poll that was conducted by Univision actually found that one of the top issues that concerns voters is access to affordable health care. Did any of the candidates stand out to you in regards to this issue? Well, you know, the, the two big candidates, again, I mean, this is why I think Warren makes a good compromise, is, is that they both believe that health care, and, and have been very staunchly, you know, in favor of uh, declaring health care as a right and figuring out how 
the government and how the people are going to pay for that. Um, they have the clearest um, sort of um, avenues uh, to get there. Um, and, you know, and so I think they will continue to resonate with a, with a group that is disproportionately affected by the lack of health care uh, in this country, and that is Latinos. So bottom line also, who do you think would be the best candidate to basically face <laughs> off in November with President Donald Trump? Well, you know, what's interesting is, you, you know, there's a lot of discussion about who would be the best person. I mean, you know, in the poll that that uh, that we worked on, you know, for, for Univision, right? I mean, Latinos are, are fairly unified against Donald Trump, right? It, uh, one of the questions they ask is, you know, if Donald Trump ran against any Democrat, who would you vote for? And, and pretty much 80 percent uh, of Latinos said that they're pretty sure that they're going to vote for um, the person who's not Donald Trump, the Democrat, right? So, um, you know, the asset that any candidate that goes into, you know, that goes into the general election as the representative of the Democratic Party, the main asset is that they're not Donald Trump. Well, thank you so much for your time, Stephen Nuno Perez, professor at Northern Arizona University. And we would also like to remind our viewers that Univision and CNN will broadcast a debate among the Democratic presidential hopefuls on March 15th from Phoenix, Arizona. That will be two days before the primary election in that state, where the Latino vote will be crucial. Remember to tune in. And now let's also talk about President Trump because he continues on his own campaign trail events. He's been quite busy. There will actually be a rally tonight in Colorado and the president will be there. It will be the second in three days. He will also be delivering remarks at a Home for Prisoners event in Las Vegas ahead of this weekend's presidential caucuses. Now to the latest on the coronavirus outbreak, this ongoing situation that has everyone alarmed. We are now hearing that two former passengers from the Diamond Princess cruise ship that was right off the coast of Japan, they have now died. This has hundreds disembarked, now free of their temporary quarantine. Carolina Sarasa has the very latest. As more than 600 passengers disembarked from the Diamond Princess, the Japanese government is announcing the first deaths from that vessel. Two passengers, a couple in their 80s, who were taken off the Princess, died after being hospitalized. Japan now has three deaths from coronavirus. When we left the ship, we had no idea we were carrying the virus. 66-year-old California resident Carl Goldman and his wife went from vacation to a Nebraska biocontainment unit. Carl tested positive for the virus two days after leaving the ship. Kind of feel like I'm a fish inside a, a bowl. In California, 12 American evacuees from the Princess who arrived at Travis Air Base have now been put into isolation undergoing evaluation for the virus. The Japanese government has been questioned over its decision to keep people on the ship. A doctor from Japan who visited the ship for just one day posted a video online calling the quarantine completely chaotic. Inside Princess Diamond, I was so scared. I was so scared of getting COVID-19 because there was no way to tell where the virus is. Crew members who couldn't be confined to their rooms because they were working are expected to stay on the ship for the foreseeable future. 
In South Korea, the mayor of one city urged 2.5 million people to remain inside and even wear masks indoors after 35 new patients were diagnosed with COVID-19. 28 of the patients went to church services attended by a woman who had the virus. Carolina Sarasa, U News. And now staying on topic in regards to the coronavirus outbreak, it continues to impact the global economy as well. Jaguar Land Rover has decided to fly auto parts made in China to its European factories rather than relying on slow-moving cargo ships. The move comes as the crisis puts a dent in the car company's supply chain. Chinese factories are struggling to reopen due to restrictions from this outbreak. More of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. The Senate will turn itself into a courtroom. The private border fence is being installed. A police officer and three people were killed inside a Jewish supermarket in Jersey City. You News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. You News on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. In the Dominican Republic, protesters dressed in black gathered to demonstrate for a third day after Sunday's municipal elections were abruptly canceled. Those elections were already underway when authorities announced they would be suspended due to a series of technical difficulties found in the electronic ballot machines. New elections are now scheduled for March 15th. Demonstrators are calling for electoral judges to resign ahead of that date. Venezuela's Nicolas Maduro declared an energy emergency as he announced the commission to revamp state oil company Petróleos de Venezuela. This in an effort to shore up the nation's crumbling oil industry. Economy Vice President Tarek El Aysami will lead that commission. The announcement comes just one day after the U.S. imposed sanctions on the biggest exporter of Venezuelan crude. And in Colombia, the Supreme Court is considering a measure that would decriminalize abortion for any reason before a pregnancy reaches 16 weeks. Colombia already decriminalized abortion in three cases back in the year 2006 in the event of a fetus malformation when a pregnancy is the product of sexual assault and also when the mother's life is at risk. The debate has divided the majority Catholic country after a doctor recently performed a legal abortion on a 22-year-old woman who was seven months pregnant. Exclusive video from the website Latinas shows never-before-seen images of the day Mexican drug lord Joaquin El Chapo Guzman was sent back to prison, the same prison where El Chapo made his infamous escape. The video shows the entire booking process, as well as a notorious drug lord answering personal questions, one of the very few times his voice has been heard publicly. Here's Nidia Cavazos with the story. He was recaptured on January 8, 2016, almost six months after his spectacular prison escape through a tunnel. That is why Joaquin El Chapo Guzman returned to the heavily guarded Altiplano prison. New images reveal that El Chapo was even transported to the prison in an armored vehicle. Lying on the floor, he was even searched by a dog. After putting on his inmate's uniform and the number 3870, they shaved his mustache and hair. Then the interrogation began. Archivaldo. Archivaldo. Okay. 
In this video released by the website Latinas, the agitated mood of the Sinaloan can only be seen in the way he wiped off the ink he used to leave his fingerprints on the registration documents at the prison. His voice seems unaffected. But it's only when he's asked about his religion that he briefly turns to look at his interviewer. He answers as she finished elementary school. And just as he starts signing his statement and registering the name of his lawyers, one of the prison alarm goes off. For this one, and other noises, he'd say later that he couldn't sleep in that prison. Only once does El Chapo ask a question. Then he is escorted to his new cell where he'll spend four months of his life. In Mexico City, reported by Jessica Cermeño, this is Nidia Cavazos, U News. Thanks for listening to U News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow U News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.